Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. It's Friday the 12th of July. Coming up, Tory members speak out after questioning leadership candidates in Maidstone. I'm a little bit leaning more towards Hunt now. I was going in as a definite pro-Boris and now I'm a bit wavering. I don't think I can back either of them when they're still peddling these Brexit fantasies. Campaigners against housing development and petition to Downing Street. Government need to look at some of these developments that they're doing, really scrutinise them, because once the Garden of England, the countryside is gone, it's not coming back. And cyclists set off on a 150-mile journey for charity. It's poignant in historical terms, but it's very poignant in terms of you know, 150 miles over two days. No mean feat. Kent Online News. First today, the two men hoping to become our next Prime Minister have played down the impact a no-deal Brexit could have on Kent. Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt were in Maidstone last night answering questions from Conservative Party members on everything from policing to tax cuts and, of course, the UK's departure from the EU. Joe caught up with some of the Tory party members afterwards. Are you any clearer on who you're going to vote for now and why? I'm a little bit clearer. I'm a little bit leaning more towards Hunt now, um, but I am still not decided and I'm still going to take my time to think about it because it is a very, very complicated question. Um, and I think that it's not just my own personal feelings that matter, but what the whole country thinks that matter because um, having this deciding who will be the leader of Britain is a bit more important than just what I think personally and it's also about who is going to be able to win elections in future and so um, we've got basically a choice between Mr Sensible, Jeremy Hunt and then Mr Charismatic, Boris Johnson and uh, for me really that is in a way the big question um, on policy issues, I don't think there is too great a difference between them, they're making campaign promises and so on, similarly on Brexit, I haven't heard much, um, yeah, much difference of opinion. I was going in as a definite pro-Boris, and now I'm a bit wavering. So um, I don't know, but which which way I'm going to vote. Why did Jeremy Hunt impress you in, in particular? Well, he he talked very well. He didn't waffle. He seemed to have a good answer for all the questions. Um, that that's you know. I, but then again, I like what Boris says as well. I don't think I can back either of them when they're still peddling these Brexit fantasies. Neither of them have got actually a credible plan for what's going to happen with Brexit. We aren't going to be able to get a deal through and no deal will be blocked by Parliament. So I actually think that Jeremy or Boris doesn't really matter because at the moment there's no Brexit reality. Do you think this, ele- or this, this vote is becoming all about Brexit and maybe the bigger picture of other things beyond are, are getting overlooked as well because we need to see what happens with Brexit. It is all about Brexit and that's a shame. The, this Brexit, Brexit is slowing us down as a country. Nothing, none of the other issues like climate change, education, the NHS, none of these issues can be sorted out until we solve Brexit. I think I'm going to go for Hunt. And why is that? I thought he answered very sensibly and clearly and a lot of detailed knowledge of the issues involved. I think Boris is very entertaining. The problem that I have is that we need a Prime Minister who is a statesman and I think that that is Jeremy Hunt. He is well respected internationally, he's clear thinking, he's quiet, determined, steely, respectful and I think he has the ideal characteristics of a good Prime Minister. I'm still inclined to vote for Boris, I have to say. Why is that? Um, 
partly it's about personality, um, although they're both, neither is a bad option, I have to say, if I'm being honest. So ne neither, neither's a bad option, but personally I'm more inclined towards Boris. I still think um, that Boris is probably going to be the one that will bring the party together at the moment. I just feel really happy that we've got two really talented people and that um, actually I think either of them can do a good job. Our political editor Paul Francis was also at the hustings. He and Joe spoke to Ashford MP Damien Green to hear what he thinks about the leadership contest. I think that the next Prime Minister has got, has got three big tasks. First of all, obviously deliver Brexit and I think Boris is best placed to do that. Secondly, after Brexit, is to unite the country, I mean the Conservative Party as well, but more importantly the country, actually give us a new sense of purpose. And thirdly, defeat Jeremy Corbyn, because I think that's really important for the future of the country, and I think Boris is best placed to do all of those. Do you think he's best placed to also, you know, um, tackle some of the issues we have here in Kent, the M20, Operation Brock, something very important to residents in your area? Do you think he's capable of, of making those changes or putting in or in contingency plans to alleviate the pressures yeah i think well i think the uh, the the problems with operation block which are huge and which i've written to the government to again uh, recently demanding to know why they're being kept on for the next few months we will only be rid of the immediate threat is if we get brexit through uh, and so that's the best way to get Operation Brock uh, out of our hair. But certainly between now and then, uh, you know, Boris, as I expect as Prime Minister, I will be pressing him to make sure that we have proper arrangements between now and October. How important is it now? You mentioned it briefly earlier on. How important is it now that, that Boris, if he is Prime Minister, can, can rejuvenate the Tory party and, and, and win that and beat Jeremy Corbyn, as you say? Do you think he is the man to put a bit of trust back into politics and get more people involved in politics. Yeah, I mean, I think people are involved in politics, but in a slightly negative way, because people distrust the whole political system because Brexit hasn't been delivered. And I think Boris will deliver Brexit, and that in itself will be a big step forward in restoring trust in the whole of politics. I mean, I also think, as he showed, uh, yeah, as, as uh, Mayor of London, he, you know, he won two terms, particularly the second term at the time when the Tory party was very unpopular in London. He has shown that he can reach out beyond, if you like, the, the sort of Tory faithful, the Tory heartlands, and actually win votes for the Conservative Party that other candidates haven't been able to, and that's what we need. North Thanet MP Sir Roger Gale, who was also there yesterday evening, disagrees with his colleague. I think the country faces enormous challenges, and if anybody can get a deal out of Europe, and I'm not sure that anybody can, but if anybody can get a deal out of Europe, then that man is Jeremy Hunt, not Mr Johnson. Why can't Boris Johnson deliver that when you say Jeremy Hunt can? Because I believe that Jeremy has established contacts across the European Union. He's made friends where others have made enemies. It is just possible that if he becomes the Prime Minister, he may be able to call in some favours and get a mildly renegotiated deal that could get through the House. But you have to remember that the arithmetic hasn't changed, so it is going to be very difficult for anybody at all. I think the fundamental difference is that if Jeremy Hunt is elected as Prime Minister, he will spend every waking minute seeking to get a deal. Whereas if Mr Johnson is elected Prime Minister, he will leave it until the last minute and then try and get out with no deal at all. A lot's been said about his personality and his personality flaws. Do you think that matters? I think what you have seen in the last 24 hours, in the way that he signally failed to get behind our ambassador in the United States, effectively sold him short, 
demonstrates why the Foreign Secretary, the current Foreign Secretary, is qualified to become Prime Minister and why the last Foreign Secretary, Mr Johnson, is not. OK. Yeah, that's fine. Well, well, can I get one more on that, on the Brexit? Yeah, sure. Do you think this whole leadership contest is more of a, a Brexit-related and it shouldn't be a chance to look at other issues? Or do you think Jeremy Hunt is a leader that can do both and can take us out of Europe but also forward as a, as a nation? Whoever becomes Prime Minister has two jobs. The first of those jobs, quite clearly, is to sort out the mess that is Brexit. The second is to run the country. And the person who takes on the job has to be prepared and able to walk through the door of number 10 on the day after his election, remembering that we're electing a prime minister, not just a leader of the party, and do the whole of the job. Um, it is a moot point whether or not Mr Johnson could do part of it. I have no confidence that he can do all of it. We'll find out which of the two men have been elected as the new Prime Minister by the end of the month. Kent Online reports. New figures show more than 9,000 patients waited at least four hours to be seen at A&E departments in hospitals across Kent last month. The Medway Maritime in Gillingham had the eighth highest number in England, with 27% of people waiting longer than the government's target time. Maidstone and Tunbridge Wells performed the best in the county with 94% of patients getting seen in less than four hours. People on a ferry have raised the alarm to border force officers after migrants were spotted off the Kent coast. It's understood they were seen crossing the channel by those on board the P&O ferry ship Pride of Canterbury yesterday morning. Eight people were taken to Dover and are being interviewed by immigration officials. A Chatham man who drove at more than double the speed limit during two police chases has been jailed for two years and seven months. Sam Hardstaff went 70 miles an hour in a 30 zone while trying to get away from officers in Gillingham last month and drove on the wrong side of the road into oncoming traffic before crashing into a field in Aylesford. The 21-year-old from St Leonard's Avenue also went the wrong way round a roundabout during a similar incident in Chatham in April. Campaigners against plans to build a garden community in a Kent village have taken a petition to Downing Street today. Almost 3,000 people have signed it, calling on the government to review the proposal for thousands of new homes in Marden. The Marden Planning Opposition Group believes the plans, which also include new schools and health facilities, are against national guidelines. Ish has been finding out more from their chairman, Claudine Russell. We decided to present it to the government because we really do want them to have a look at the um, NPPF, the National Planning Policy Framework, along with their garden community's prospectus and really see if the development that they're talking about in Marden for the 2,000 houses to be bolted onto the side of a rural village is in spirit with the legislation and would be in keeping with it. We don't think it would be, so we'd like them to examine that. Well, it is this um, whether you can actually, you know, double the size of a rural village or whether actually the legislation was intended to be a new place created with all of the infrastructure going in and all of the services that that would require. In terms of the consequences, as you've already sort of alluded to, what, what is it that you'll be stressing to those? Uh, you're not just heading to Parliament. It looks like you'll understand you're heading to other places around the capital. Yes, I mean, we're going to take some photos at key landmarks because obviously we want to um, publicise our campaign. And I'm sure there are other villages that are going through similar situations to us. And, you know, we live in the Garden of England and I think that um, government need to look at some of these um, developments that they're doing, really scrutinise them, because once the Garden of England, the countryside is gone, it's not coming back. 
And do we want to turn around in 40 years and think, well, it's all gone, it's all housing. Was that the best use of the land? Or did they build the right kind of houses? You know, a lot of the developments... Marden, we've had 37% increase in the last six years of housing. So we've taken a lot of housing in Marden already. It's not a village where nothing's been built. And I think they need to have a look at that seriously, at the concept, at some of this legislation, and decide whether the planning process is going in the right direction. So ultimately your issue isn't necessarily that there's going to be potentially further development of housing, but it's the scale of the development that would be far too much for Marden. Is that what you feel? It's the scale of it, yes. I mean, we're talking about 330 acres in the proposal and, you know, 2,000 houses, maybe even more than that. And I just think it's not well thought out. There's only two roads that link us. It's not well planned. It's not in the spirit of the um, NPPF or in the garden community's prospectus. And it's certainly not a forward-thinking future um, planning. You know, it wouldn't be a good village. Everyone would be car dependent. There's no public particular rights of way that you could use easily. And there's no great transport other than car. Kent Online News. It's claimed thousands of children and teachers in Medway are at risk of developing cancer from asbestos. That's the warning from leading campaigner John Reeves, who spoke at a conference at Chatham's historic dockyard. He says schools should be named and shamed if they fail to remove the dangerous substance from buildings. Bosses say they regularly monitor asbestos and are following government guidelines. A Tunbridge Wells couple have been left stranded in a hospital in Thailand after a motorbike accident on their honeymoon. Abby Harrison and Rory Sandlier were facing a £12,000 medical bill after she had to have emergency surgery which wasn't covered by her travel insurance. An online fundraising page has been set up to try and cover the cost and help them get back home. Now it's emerged waste water containing sewage has polluted part of the Kent coastline dozens of times over the last six weeks. 30 spills have happened at beaches in Tankerton and Hern Bay since the bathing season started in May. The company responsible Southern Waters says the liquid is just 0.01% waste. With exactly a year to go until some of the best golfers in the world come to Kent for the Open, we're told preparations are going well. Thousands of spectators are also expected to descend on Sandwich next July and work's being done to make sure the town can cope with all the visitors. That includes making sure roads are able to deal with extra traffic and extending the platform at the railway station. Ish has been chatting to Tim Checkitz, who's the general manager at the Royal St George's Club, which is hosting the competition. We're obviously very excited. There's going to be a huge amount of work to do over the next 12 months. We've actually been working at this project for about three or four years now, but um, now there is real focus to um, get the very many tasks done that we need to get completed to have a really smashing open in Kent in 2020. And what type of preparation goes into all of this, as you say, three or four years in the making, um, what's that involved? Well, we've done, um, outside our grounds, we've been much involved with the plans to improve the local infrastructure, be that making sure the roads can handle the traffic, making sure that the getting the agreement to lengthen Sandwich Station so we can take the 12-car train, um, to make sure the foot passengers then have a decent walk into the ground. Um, And inside the grounds, we've been doing um, some changes to the course. They were done about two years ago and have so well settled in. And then now we've been doing some work to the areas where the RNA will put all the spectator facilities. So that's largely done. 
and we've got a bit more work to do um, to make sure that sort of access once people in here is as good as it can be. So um, there's a lot to keep us busy in the next 12 months. And what can golfers expect from the course? I think they will find a, a, a difficult golf course. We haven't made it any longer than we did in 2011. Um, but with a bit of wind and if we have a nice firm dry summer as we hope we will then it shall provide a hope a really good test for the best golfers um we're a great spectating course which is so good because there's so many natural viewpoints on the dunes so almost wherever you can go you can watch one hole or watch two holes um without having to move too far um, and some of the RNA's new developments on sort of walk-on and walk-off stands and things like that will make um, viewing really fantastic. On top of which, the sort of network of um, screens and displays that the RNA now deploy at each of the venues has moved on enormously since 2011. So, as a spectator, you'll be able to watch it on an app live on your phone. You'll be able to watch it on a screen near you, wherever you're standing, or you'll be within 10 yards of one of the world's greatest golfers, you know, watching them do their stuff. So, it should be a fantastic spectator ex experience. And for those of us who haven't been or seen the Open before, what can we expect next year? What can we expect that that action, that atmosphere? Can you just describe that for us? You know, we hope we will get somewhere over 200,000 spectators in the week, um, you know, 40, 50,000 perhaps on the, on the busier days at the end of the tournament. So it, it's a fantastic spectator experience. I mean, there's something for everybody here, whether it's in the spectator village, um, in the displays, on the practice ground, look at the new golf technology, um, see what the RNA's partners are doing because their commercial partners were all of big displays exhibiting their businesses. Wonderful opportunities for young young people, children who haven't played golf before to come in, book lessons, find out what it's all about, give it a go um, actually while they're here. So hopefully to inspire a, a new generation, not only um, by the heroes they see, but actually giving them some sort of hands-on experience themselves as well. Kent Online reports. We're being asked what we think Kent Police's priorities should be. The police commissioner's launched his annual policing survey so we can say what issues we're most concerned about. Matthew Scott's also keen to hear if we'd be prepared to pay more towards the police through council tax. And finally today, a group of cyclists have started a 150-mile journey from Kent to Belgium to mark 100 years of the Royal British Legion Industries. More than 70 people set off from its village in Aylesford earlier and are travelling to Ypres over the next few days. The charity has been supporting injured veterans since 1919 and needs to raise £14 million to build their centenary village. Chief Exec Steve Sherry told Ish exactly what they're doing and why. So this is the 100th year, our centenary year of Royal Brit British Legion Industries, RBLI, uh, 100 years old in 2019. Um, and this is going to be a true celebration of that, uh, that event. Uh, it's a ride from leaving here in Aylesford, our village, the centre, the heart of RBLI, uh, and riding over two days, 150 miles to the Menning Gate, um, where there will be an act of remembrance there. So it's a very exciting day for us all. Absolutely. And you, and you pointed out some significant landmarks in terms of the military history, etc. Um, why have you decided to mark the centenary in, in such a way? Well, it does a lot for us. Um, first of all, it engages our veterans who live here on the village um, and are getting independence back to their lives. They've been 
hit either with some mental illness or physical disability, um, and they're, they're get busy getting their um, getting their own independence back through employment, through getting some medical support and the rest. Uh, and having a target like this is quite important for them. And, I, and they, they, we've got about 20 riders of the the 70 so riders, about 100 people total in the event. Um, but there's a mix of people from um, RBLI, from the local community, from commercial organisations and local government. And that's very important that um, you know we don't stay uh, on our own, we're integrated, part of the community. Uh, and it's very important for Kent, I think, uh, that uh, we raise our profile and show people uh, what they're doing to support veterans here in Kent. Absolutely fantastic. And what was it ultimately that you're hoping that this ride can represent? Well, I think it represents a sort of... Um, the, the energy, uh, the resilience, the confidence that people can get back um, despite perhaps severe um, trauma in their lives. Uh, that may be a mix, or quite often it's a mix of physical and mental trauma. Uh, but everyone can um, find their way to get through that and achieve something. And for, um, we've got amputees doing this 150 miles, we've got people who've had um, mental illness, uh, and people are just sort of not not in best shape because they've been out of work for a long time. Uh, so I think in terms of that, it's, it, it epitomises achievement and success. Uh, and everyone wants to be part of a winning team. And I did the ride with them last year. And when you get to the end at the Menning Gate, uh, it's poignant in historical terms, but it's very poignant in terms of you know, 150 miles over two days. No mean feat. No mean feat. That's it for now, but for more news throughout the day, you can head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.